Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for letting me go away last weekend to celebrate uh, the retirement of Pastor Tim, my longtime pastor and boss. It was the first time, I just realized this morning, it was the first time, I think, worshiping with Trinity, the church I served for however long in over two years. Um, So it was really sweet to be back. But even while we were there, I, I just missed being here. I love you guys. I love our church. I just came away really grateful for you guys and for all that God's doing here and excited about what God's doing. Um, one of the reasons I love our church so much is because we have fathers who are committed to growing in the Lord and encouraging one another and strengthening one another and pushing one another. And I have grown a lot just in the past year because of the men of this church. And I hope you have too. Um, so I'm just really grateful. We all need help. Dads, we all need help. We all need help, right? That is why we're starting our children's and youth groups. Not because we want to have another place to stick our kids and offload them, but because we want to help each other help our kids grow into godliness and maturity and strength. Because guess what? Whose sins and weaknesses is Peter going to have? My oldest son. Would you say his mom's? <laughs> yeah, his mom's. Mine. They're going to be mine, right? Is he going to have John's strengths or Danny's strengths or David Jones's strengths? He could. He could at least have some of them. He could at least have places where I am weak, be strengthened, right? So that he can be better than me. That's what we all want. We want our kids to be better than us, right? So, I want my kids to be as committed to studying the Bible as Scott and Chris. I want them to to be as gregarious, as as friendly and outgoing as David and Jamie. I want them to be as omnicompetent as John and Sarah. I want them to be just as steady and level-headed as Bart and Andrea. Those are places where I'm weak. Those are places where we can strengthen one another and support one another in the raising of our kids, right? That's what we want to be, a church committed to helping each other. That's why we have schools, right? I can't teach music. I'm not a good musician. Y'all heard me sing? We send our kids to schools because we want people who specialize in those things to come alongside us and help us in the raising of our kids. That's what schools are supposed to be, not a place where we offload our kids, but a place where we're like, hey, this is a place that can come alongside us in the raising of our kids, in the educating of our kids. And that's the way we need to think about school and the way we need to look at school. That's why we uh, have coaches for our kids in sports. It's good to have other parents, other dads, other moms invested in our kids, teaching them things that maybe we can't teach them, but also just supporting in, uh, us in the work of building their character, teaching them how to be respectful on and off the ball field, teaching them how to take failure and losing in stride, teaching them to work hard, holding them accountable to not be whiny, Right? The church is the same and it ought to be more. It ought to be the place that everybody looks to and says, that's the place where I know I can get real help raising my kids. Places where I'm weak. The church ought to be leading there. We have the ability as a church to be a leveling ground for kids. 
because it doesn't matter where we're coming from. We can help each other out. It's good for our kids to have many mothers and fathers in the church because in the church we have God as our father. All that to say, bring your kids to youth group Bible studies and children's ministries and things like that and invest and volunteer in the kids of this church because we need you. I need you. Okay. And bring your friends and neighbors, especially those that don't have mothers and fathers. Okay. Kids be thinking about who you can invite to youth group tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for being our father in heaven and for drawing near to us. We pray that you would have mercy on us, that you would give us wisdom and faith, that you give me wisdom and faith as I preach, that you would humble our hearts before you. Pray for Ben and Megan as they prepare to go um, and uh, receive the, the children that you have set aside for them. Pray for Destiny as she approaches the death of her grandmother. For everyone among us who is suffering and grieving, especially on Father's Day, grieving the loss of their own dads, pray that you would be near us all and have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is self-help summer, which is my way of saying we are here to be super practical, right? Straight from the scriptures, down and dirty, practical. We are looking at themes from Proverbs. And remember, Proverbs are principles, right? A good proverb provides one answer to many questions. So a good example from Jesus himself is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. One answer to many of life's questions. Let's test it out. I go to Parlor Donuts and I want to pick up two dozen donuts. That's 24. And I want to pick each one out individually. And behind me in line is a mother with a crying toddler who just wants to get some coffee to start her day. What should I do? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? I know what I would want if I were in her shoes. One answer to many of life's questions, even down to what do I do in the line for donuts, right? A proverb is a multi-tool. It's a Swiss army knife. It's a Leatherman. It's duct tape. It is what you take with you so that you are prepared in a pinch no matter what happens. So you don't have to think through every single situation that comes to you. You don't have to like reason it out. You've got a shortcut, a handle, something you can grab onto that's a rule for how do I face this question, this problem? How do I act in this situation? It seems gray. It doesn't seem black and white. The Bible doesn't have a thing that says specifically what to do in case of donuts, right? It doesn't mean that you'll do the best job of applying that, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that you'll interpret the proverb rightly. It doesn't mean that you'll get everything right. But it's better to have a good faith duct tape solution. You won't always apply it rightly, right? It's actually pretty easy to misinterpret do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? Well, honey, I thought it was me and what I would really like for... Mother's Day is a steak dinner and a new fishing rod, so happy Mother's Day, right? You know, it's really easy to get that stuff wrong, okay? But it's good to have that principle in hand. 
So here we are in Proverbs searching for shorthand solutions to life's questions. And since it's Father's Day, we're talking about parenting this morning. Okay, raising kids. Just like marriage, a couple weeks ago, we have three rules. Three rules for raising kids. Simple, straight from the Proverbs. Number one, love them. Number two, train them. Number three, discipline them. Okay, those are the fundamentals. As we go through them, I want us each to find one place where we're not comfortable as parents, okay? And if you're not a parent, just think about kids in the church. You're still a mother and father, okay? It doesn't matter how old you are. There are people that God has given you to be responsible for. But pick one place where you're uncomfortable and commit to doing three things. Talk it out, pray it out, and live it out. Talk it through with your spouse if you have one or with a trusted brother or sister or mother and father in the faith if you don't have one, okay? And as you do, strategize about how you can grow. Then commit to praying for God's help every day and commit to taking a baby step every day this week, okay? Pick a weakness, talk it through with your husband or your wife, pray about it every day, Find a baby step every day to attack that weakness, that place where you are uncomfortable. And don't take the easy way out. Find the hard way. Find the place where you're actually weak. We are committed to growing here, right? So that's what we're going to do. All right, number one, love your kids. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Proverbs 23, okay? Love your kids. It is the foundational rule. It is the rule that matters above all rules. Love them and bond with them. You must have have their hearts. That means you must want their hearts. Jake, that's kind of easy. Of course we love our kids. Do you? (laughs) Do you love them the way you should? Heaven and hell are fighting for the hearts of your kids. The world with its wealth with sex and money and power and entertainment, everything is fighting for your kids. Disney is fighting for the hearts of your kids. Are you fighting for the hearts of your kids? Do you love them? None of us love our kids the way we should. None of us. And sometimes if we're honest, we realize it's hard to like them. Am I allowed to say that? They get in the way, they make a mess. They practice snapping their fingers while you're trying to write your sermon. Stop it! Stop! Stop it! Just stop, Peter. Please stop. (laughs) Go outside. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Blame the kid who's not here. (laughs) Sheesh. Ah. They cost money. They keep us too busy to do the fun things we'd be doing without them, like the things we did before kids, which was so awesome. You remember life before kids, what that was like, how cool that was? You sat around and ate frozen pizza and drank light beer and played video games and went to the movies or to the lake or something. It's so cool. Man, if only we could get those days back. Then God gave you these little miracles with the power to leave a stamp on human history. He gave you a sacred trust in these little men and women made in your own image. And not just your own image, but in God's image. And you want them to go away because what? You miss the days of pizza and light beer? No, we just don't want to grow. We don't want to face down our own selfishness. 
We take pizza and light beer over living, breathing miracles because we're lazy and selfish. And we want things to be easy. Love is hard. Love is hard. And it's not convenient. And loving our kids means dying to ourselves. Not long after Peter was born, he, he had a hard time. We had a hard time with him early for reasons we didn't even quite understand. He cried a lot. And I remember one night I was, I was training for ministry. I was trying to run a, a brand new campus ministry. And I was working, uh, commuting all the way up to Indianapolis to paint. I was putting in over 70 hours a week, all things considered. And up in the night with him, crying. And I remember realizing, standing over his crib, how easy it would be to hurt him. How, how parents actually, how do, have you ever had that thought? How do parents do, how do they harm their kids? And then you're just at your wits end and you realize that's actually in my heart too. It's in my heart. That evil is there. And you realize how selfish and impatient you are. And then you step back and then you see God, slow to anger and abounding in love, patient. And you think, wow. and I'm a rebel. I don't deserve it. What did, Peter's just, what's his crime? Being hungry and helpless? It's just the way that we are. God's patient with us. Love is hard. It means dying to ourselves, telling ourselves no. Marriage will make you do it. Kids will make you do it. You have to face yourself. Or you'll spend your marriage and your parenting years running, hiding into bottles, into other people's beds, anywhere where there isn't a mirror being held up to your face, showing you your weaknesses and your sins and your struggles and your failures and your inadequacies. That's what kids are. It's part of the blessing of kids. Loving your kids also means facing our past. The first person to teach you about God was who? It's your father. It's your parents for good and for bad. And where our fathers failed, we're likely to have skewed ways of seeing God. And all of our fathers have failed one way or another. It doesn't matter how good our parents are. It doesn't matter how good our dad is. No dad is perfect. Just like us, just like their fathers before them, we all fail. Only God is perfect. So where our father's angry, we'll believe God's slow to love and abounding in irritation. Was our father absent or checked out? We'll, we'll be tempted to believe that God's some kind of space architect who doesn't care about our little problems. Was our father overindulgent? Maybe then our vision of God is a grandfatherly space daddy who wants to give good things to his kids, but bless his heart, something's always getting in the way. Becoming good parents means working through our mommy and daddy issues and fighting for a biblical understanding of who our father in heaven is so we can share it with our kids day to day on a heart level. That's hard work. It's a fight. It's working uphill. We have to figure that stuff out though. We have to fight through it if we're going to love our kids. And love is the foundation of everything else that comes next. If you don't love your kids and they don't feel it, then your training and your discipline will bounce right off of them. It won't land. You have to love your kids and fight to love your kids. The good news is that your kids are hardwired to give you their hearts. 
All they need is to feel that their hearts are in good, trustworthy hands, that it's safe. Uh, some of you, anybody in this room familiar with something called attachment theory? Yeah, yeah, some of you are. Some of you are because maybe you've been around like adoption and things like that. Um, it's a theory of parenting that goes all the way back to the 80s. And it's run its course because it's like all scientists in a room who think that they can like figure out parenting. Like they're just kind of silly. But the basic idea is that kids, if you can believe it, need to attach to their parents. If they bond to healthy authority figures, they'll develop emotionally, they'll mature into adulthood. If they don't, they'll bond to their peers. And that explains why every young man has the same haircut and why every girl has the same pair of jeans and why they all listen to the same music that you don't understand and why they're all so fragile and sensitive around each other about it and why they just have to fit in and they have to figure out what's changing and they have to keep up with it and they're afraid of losing contact with their peers over the summer because, oh no, things are gonna change and I'm gonna fall out of my peer group. Attachment theory says, hey, if you have your kids' hearts, that kind of inoculates them against all of that nonsense. It gives them freedom to be individuals, to like what they like and to not have to fit in because they have a stronger bond with their parents than with their peers. Taken to its extreme, attachment theory gets really, really silly and stupid. You turn into some kind of helicopter parent who cannot allow your kid to leave your arms, right? Silly. Oh no, my toddler will think I'm abandoning them if I set them down. Uh, or you're just training your toddler to be selfish and demanding and teaching him that the world revolves around him. But the central premise is still right. It's still right. It was already there in the Bible all along. We talked about it last summer. Proverbs chapter one. Hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You know, this whole big thing about how you're gonna be tempted to join a gang or something, to run with the crowd. My son, listen to me. Give me your heart. Listen to your mother's instruction. Don't do that. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding for the lips of, her, of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. If you have your kids' hearts, it will protect them from peer pressure. They won't need to fit in with the crowd. They won't need to join a gang if they're secure in your love. If your daughter is secure in her father's love, she won't need a boy. And when the time comes, she'll be attracted to not a boy, but to a man who loves her and cares for her like you do, with purity and honor. It becomes, if you bond with your kids, if you have their hearts, everything else becomes easier. It's what will protect your kids from the two biggest dangers they face, the two biggest dangers that Proverbs is constantly warning us about. Peers who want to pressure our kids into doing evil and the opposite sex. So first things are first, love your kids. Get rid of the pizza and light beer fantasies. Light beer is a sin anyway. <laughs> Not because it's beer, but because it is water lying about being beer and lying is a sin. Our elders gave us grape juice. I had to make a joke. All right, number one, love your kids. Number two, train your kids, train your kids. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Teaching and training kids is hard. Uh, is it? Is it hard? Yeah, it is. But also, 
you're kind of always doing it whether you like it or not, aren't you? You're always teaching by example. You're always teaching what you love by what you do and by what you say, by how you live. You don't have to try. It comes out. Your kids know what you love and what you think is cool. They know what excites you. Did y'all see the latest episode of that bad Obi-Wan Kenobi show? But did you see what Darth Vader did in it? Super cool. Spoilers, sorry. (laughs) I'm ruining things. I'll, I'll stop. It's cool. It's cool. It's badly done, but it's cool. There are things you never thought about teaching your kids, but they have learned them from you. Like your vices. How to be addicted to your phone. How to be grumpy in the morning. How to love light beer and miss the glory of life. (laughs) If you love your kids, and if you have their hearts, they are designed to key off of you. They want to do what you do. They want to be helpful. They want to work when you work. I wonder why my kids like baseball. I wonder why Abe wants to wear number nine and be a catcher even though he's built to be a second baseman. I didn't have to coax him into that. In fact, I have to work against that. I have to give him freedom to just be himself, to just be Abe, the second baseman, to not have to be me, to not have to wear my number, to not have to play my position. Some kids won't take after us in every way. That's okay. You love baseball and your kid doesn't. Well, maybe you've just done a good job of giving them the freedom to like what they like. That's great. But they want to be like you. And the point is, as parents, we're teaching all the time. They see what we love. The question is, what should we be teaching? Okay. Quickly, three rules for training your kids straight out of the Proverbs, okay? Which, just to remind us, is a father, a whole book of teaching from a father to his son. A whole book of the Bible. Father teaching his son. First thing is teach consequences. You reap what you sow. All of Proverbs is consequence-based. Flip open, if you got a Bible, flip open, put your finger down. And I'm willing to bet that almost anywhere you put your finger down, you basically have this formula. Do this good thing, get this good result. Do this bad thing, get this bad result. One of those two or both, almost anywhere you drop your finger. Consequence-based instruction. The other day we were reading through Genesis at the dinner table. My kids were blown away by the fact that Adam and Eve would disobey God when he said that they would die if they ate the fruit of the tree. And mom was right there on the ball. How many of you brushed your teeth this morning? Uh, Haven't I? I'm not. Good. Good job, Taryn. (laughs) Congratulations, everybody, Taryn brushed your teeth this morning. <laughs> Great job. No, it, that's, what Amanda, that's what Amanda asked the kids. How many of you brushed your teeth this morning? And it, it wasn't very many. She said, well, haven't I told you that your teeth will go yellow and then brown and then fall out? Haven't I showed you pictures of, of gross, disgusting mouths of, haven't you seen? Like, haven't I told you? It's simple. Is it hard to brush your teeth? Why didn't you do it? Because we don't want to, we want to believe that our actions don't have consequences. That's why. It's deep inside our bones. 
And the job of parents is to reinforce that basic ironclad rule of how God made everything. You reap what you sow. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Consequence-based instruction. Two, use the kitchen sink. Use whatever you can to teach. Every tool in the tool bag. The Bible does. Jesus does. He uses metaphors, stories, scenarios, examples. And above all, use your own example. Follow God's example and use every tool in the tool bag. If it works, it's fair game. Uh, I was at a hotel with my kids recently and uh, we were downstairs and eating breakfast and the TV was showing whatever it was showing and a migraine commercial came on and just where I was sitting, I could see all of my kids from like Ozzy and Had and on up and they're all just like sucked into this commercial about migraine medicine. It's like zombies. So I said, hey, Kids, question, who knows what a migraine even is? Have you ever had one? Do you need migraine medicine? Would you buy migraine medicine? This commercial was designed to suck you in by people who know how to manipulate you. They're trying to manipulate and control you, to hypnotize you, to get you sucked in and to make you zombies. Don't let them control you. Step back. Step back. It was easy because it was so, everybody, everybody's like, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Like, I don't even, yeah, what is a migraine? Why, why, why do I, yeah, I don't want to be controlled by them. It was just an opportunity. Take every opportunity you can. Three, teach everything all the time. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Teach them the commands of God all the time, everywhere. And apply them everywhere to all of life. Proverbs, just Proverbs itself, addresses all of life. Nothing is off limits when it comes to what a parent addresses with their child. Not just the internal heart stuff, but how to act with money. I mean, Proverbs talks about table manners. Alcohol, friends, sex, superior, subordinates, everything in life. All of life. Teach your kids good habits. Exercise them in self-discipline and self-control. Give them rules for living. Grumpiness is a habit. Grumbling and complaining is a habit. Maybe they learned it from you. But if it's a habit you have, it's a habit you can break. The best gift you can give your kids is a trajectory. You don't have to be perfect. Everyone starts where they start. Your parents were divorced. You were an orphan. Your daddy left you. Your mommy left you. You were adopted. It doesn't matter. Okay, maybe you weren't given much to start with. You don't have that much to give with your kids at the outset. Okay, work harder. Work harder. Dedicate your life to growing in godliness. Pursue it hard. Determine to give as much as you can to your kids. And guess what you will give them? What you'll give them is the most important thing, which is the will and the desire to grow. The will and the desire to change the humility to admit where you're wrong, 
the freedom to fail and to fail and to fail and to keep failing forward toward Jesus. That's what you want. Because nobody's perfect. But if you can fix your eyes on growing toward Jesus and get your kids walking down the path of wisdom toward Jesus, they will pick up where you left off and they will keep going. Okay, love your kids. In that context, train your kids. Finally, discipline your kids. I had the hardest time preparing that part because uh, discipline's hard. Nobody likes it. Scripture itself says, nobody likes this. We know you don't like it. But God does discipline us, doesn't he? Even at the places of greatest blessing in our lives, God disciplines us. It's all there, all the way back to Genesis. God makes Adam and Eve. He puts Adam in the garden to work. And then he... uh, Uh, creates Eve and she is designed to be his helper and to bear life. And when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God's discipline of them struck at the heart of who they were and how he made them to be. Adam's work was going to be fraught with frustration and difficulty. Eve's childbearing was going to be difficult and painful and her ability to be a helper to her husband was going to be challenged. That principle is still at work. Marriage is a blessing. Marriage is also a discipline. Work is a blessing. It's what we're made to do. Work is a discipline. Kids are a blessing. Kids are a discipline. Our lives are filled with disciplines of the Lord. Every action has a consequence. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Quote from scripture. It's one of the great unchangeable laws of nature. Can't be broken. You can seem to get away with something, but you'll pay it out. You'll pay it out in guilt and other consequences down the line. And even if you escape every consequence in this life, which you can't, God pays back every man in the life to come. God disciplines us all the time for our good. But it is hard to want to discipline our kids. And have you forgotten the exhortation? This is from Hebrews chapter 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We hate being disciplined. We don't want to discipline our kids. It's painful for them. It's painful for us. Western civilization is built on the whole family unit with a strong sense of discipline. Be careful about rejecting the wisdom of the Bible. Be careful about rejecting the wisdom of that built Western civilization. Be suspicious of the studies that you think you know something about. Can it really be, can it really be that the most entitled and decadent era in history finally discovered the truth about discipline? Does ineffective discipline say more about the nature of the discipline or about the context it's administered in? In a world where sound families with two loving parents 
are in shorter and shorter supply. Be wary about being wiser than God. Let the wisdom of the Bible and the weight of the world it built press on you and push up against you and make you uncomfortable. There are many ways God disciplines us, many ways. Many tools in the disciplinary toolbox. But corporal punishment is the only one that the Bible does or just to use. Can it be misused? Yes. Can it seem ineffective? If it doesn't come in the context of real bonded love and instruction as a part of the whole package, it's not just ineffective, it's destructive. That's why love's the first thing. Without it, you don't have anything but empty tools and tactics that will backfire on you. But discipline is a tool and one we're called on by God to use. The goal is not to punish, not to have an outlet for anger, but to teach and reinforce just that actions have consequences. We want our kids to experience consequences in a controlled environment surrounded by love because our hands are safer than the hands of this world. That's the point. It's always best if the consequences our kids face that we impose are analogs to real world consequences. Did you brush your teeth? No? Okay, that's a decision that you're not gonna have dessert. But if you lie, if you're disrespectful to your mother, if you hit your sister, the Bible does have things to say about how we discipline our kids. This is what God says. Discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Have faith. Just have faith to discipline your kids. As a secondary tool to training them with your example in words, but do discipline them. You have coaches that disciplined you. You have other fathers in other contexts that disciplined you and you loved them for it. You loved them for it and you respected them. They helped you. If you love your kids, they know it. And the sweetest times are always after discipline because it leads to restoration. Simple, it's clean, it's not manipulative. All right, time to close. I wanna close by talking about authority, okay? Um, And we'll talk directly to dad since it's Father's Day, even though a lot of what I'm gonna say applies to moms. Dad, are you an authority in your home? Do you feel like one? Authority in the home is not commanded, it's assumed. It's not a question of whether or not you're an authority, but what kind of authority you are. Are you a good one or a bad one? A father who is completely absent still shapes the nature of his home. It's not about whether he shapes it, it's about how. But it is natural for us to want to have the good kind of authority that our children respect and love, right? How do we get that? Authority always moves in the direction of those who assume responsibility. And what does that look like? It looks like love and training and discipline. That's what it looks like. You want to be respected in your home, love your kids, train them and discipline them. You feel impotent in your home, something is off in one of those three places. The natural response of most kids who are well-loved and well-taught and well-disciplined is respect. The place where it's difficult is where authorities become exasperating. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So give your kids space, space to make mistakes, to be kids. Don't be exasperating. Don't provoke them to anger. Discipline and instruction. When you fail, be quick to admit that you're wrong. Ask for forgiveness. Recognize that at the end of the day, the goal is not to control your kids. It's not to keep them safe. You can't do that. Not forever. The goal is mature and godly young men and women. We fail as fathers all the time. Sometimes our kids choose the path of folly. That's why there are warnings in Proverbs for kids to honor their parents. Intense ones like this one. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. They're like five of them. That was the most fun. You get, get that? You want your eyes plucked out by the ravens of the valley? Don't honor your father and mother. Okay. For parents, the warnings are not to neglect what we're, what we're tempted to neglect, which is mostly discipline. We don't want to discipline our kids because it means acknowledging our own sin and giving God permission to deal with our sin. Not that he needs permission. But every time we deal with our sin, or sorry, with the sins of our kids, we have to deal with our own hypocrisy, don't we? It's hard to face our own hypocrisy. That's part of why we don't want to discipline our kids. We have to face ourselves in our kids. We also don't want to discipline because we love our kids and have a hard time making them sad. And we mistrust that they'll respond well to loving discipline. And then that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where we screw ourselves up to just get the job done and we harden our hearts. And then our discipline lacks the love and tenderness that it needs. Or we delay discipline until we get provoked to the point of anger. Put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And instead of being proactive, we become reactive and it comes out, but not as discipline, as punishment and as manipulation, as eruptions that are more about us being inconvenienced by our kids and not us proactively acting for their good. Dads, if you fail to love and instruct and discipline your kids, you will be impotent in your home. You'll feel like you have no authority, that your kids don't respect you. If you feel impotent in your home, it is because you're failing and falling short in love, in training, and in discipline. One or all of those three. I, I don't tell dads they need to be authorities in their home anymore. I used to think that that was helpful. And for some people, maybe it is. For some people, maybe it's, oh yeah, I'm the dad. I'm in charge. I have to be the dad. God made it that way. It's good. I should act that way. I don't need special permission. I actually have a mandate. But also often it's just blank stares like, yeah, okay, you put your finger on it. I feel impotent. How is that helpful? Might as well tell me to go make bricks without straw. No, it just, just means you need to work on growing in your love for your kids, dealing with your heart, focusing on training them in righteousness and having the faith to discipline them. That's all. That's all. Maybe the reason you're not acting like an authority is you've never seen a healthy authority. Maybe you didn't have a dad that was good at wearing his authority with love and with dignity, instructing and disciplining with real love and real compassion. Get it? It's common. But you do have a father in heaven. And he does love you. And he does discipline you. And he does instruct you constantly. 
Sometimes if you're like me, you have to break it down into a smaller picture. I keep going back to sports because it actually helps me to think about my job as a dad as being a coach. What's it like on the, on the ball field as a coach? You never stop instructing. You just never stop. You're always building up and tearing down. You're warning of consequences of this or that. You're focused sometimes on mechanics and fundamentals, sometimes on psychology, always on attitude and effort. You have to do more building up than breaking down. You have to be careful about it, especially when it's your own kid. You have to know when to shut up and just let the kids play the game and step back. You have to be careful about not exasperating your players and living in their heads. It's just all, you know, it's, a, it's fatherhood in a microcosm on a ball field. It helps me. It's just like, okay, I just step back and say, well, all of life is actually that way. And my job is all of life with my kids. Whatever it takes to help you get into that mindset, that's where you'll start to recover your strength as a father. Feel impotent, engage on that level. Persevere, work through it. Okay, you're coach of the bad news bears. You built a toxic team culture. You got to turn it around. Okay, that takes time, but God is good. Kids are resilient. Live by faith and take your baby steps. Trust God, he's good. Okay, love your kids, train your kids, discipline your kids. Talk it out, pray it out, live it out. Find a place where you're weak, talk it through, be real and honest with each other, open with each other, pray, and just take baby steps. You don't want to make any big changes in your family anyway, right? Part of your job is stability and as, a, as a mom and dad, providing that. But you do want to grow. You do want to become better. So actually do the work. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our Father in heaven. Thank you for the fathers and mothers that you have given us to shepherd us, to lead us, to guide us to you and the ways that they have done that. We give thanks to you this morning for the, especially for the men and fathers in this church who are here because they are committed to being like you and committed to growing. Pray that you would strengthen our hands and that you would strengthen our hearts for that work, that we would be a witness to your good fatherhood in this community, in our homes to our kids, in this church, and everywhere in this city where we can represent the fatherhood of our Father in heaven. Have mercy on us. Give us wisdom and faith as we consider how we need to grow. Help us, we pray, we all fall short in love, in training, and in disciplining our kids. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.